Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. The United States is in the midst of a mental health crisis. Almost a quarter of adults with a mental illness report that their mental health needs are not being met. Now, one factor in the crisis is the limited health professions workforce available to treat mental health conditions. Is there a growing group of mental health professionals who can help meet the need for mental health services? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Michael Barnett, Associate Professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at Harvard University's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Barnett and co-authors published a paper in the September 2022 issue of Health Affairs assessing trends in the supply of mental health care practitioners, including psychiatrists and nurse practitioners, serving Medicare enrollees. They found that between 2011 and 2019, the number of psychiatrists serving the Medicare population decreased, but the number of nurse practitioners increased. In today's episode, we'll talk about these findings and whether psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners can help fill the gap in health professions capacity in the United States. Dr. Barnett, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about this paper. This is such an important topic, and we know that we don't have enough people trained to meet the needs of the mental health needs of the population. So you're really much more knowledgeable in this area than I am. Can you just give me the sort of overall landscape? What do we know about the need for mental health services in the United States and whether or not we're able to meet those needs? Yeah, Alan, this is obviously such an important issue. I, I, I imagine that almost anybody listening to this podcast has family members or um, themselves have experienced how hard it is to actually get access to mental health care and just how ubiquitous it is. Um, One thing we know is that since 2020, since the pandemic started, the share of U.S. adults that have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression, depending on kind of when you look and what data you use, has probably at least doubled, maybe even tripled or more. Um, And that's in the setting of a situation where before the pandemic, we had a big problem already that only a a small fraction of people with with mental illness who needed treatment actually received it or saw a healthcare professional. And even though we don't specifically look at um, sub-issue like addiction in this particular paper, you know, it's even worse for that particular problem, which um, is um, also a growing public health need in the country and has been for many decades. So the situation before the pandemic was really quite dire. um, And then when we went into the pandemic, the demand for these services probably doubled at least with no change in supply, if anything, actually a decrease in the supply of mental health professionals who are in the workforce and available to treat. There are a lot of different kinds of professionals who can treat different aspects of mental illness and mental distress. Um, I, I'm sure we can't get into all of it here, but can you just give me a sort of a thumbnail? Who, who does what? What kinds of professionals are capable of providing what sorts of services? Yeah, so like in every realm of healthcare, there are many, many different professionals. Uh, it's definitely much more than, say, physicians and nurses. In mental health, I, as a primary care doctor myself, I'd be remiss to not, to, if I didn't point out that actually primary care providers are the most common professional treating mental health conditions, certainly with prescriptions in the U.S. However, of course, primary care doctors are not solely treating mental health conditions and have quite a bit on their plates otherwise. And they're not mental health specialists, even though 
many of them are very well equipped to treat common and you know mild to moderate symptoms of common health uh, mental health issues. But when you need specialty care, we can generally divide the group into prescribers and non-prescribers, and we focus on prescribers in this paper. And that's basically two and I'll say two and a half uh, uh, professionals. There's of course psychiatrists who are doctors who specialize in mental health. And in this paper, we look at this emerging professional category um, who call themselves psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners. Um, and they are nurse practitioners who really function as psychiatrists in their professional care, the same way nurse practitioners who are primary care uh, clinicians will function as primary care, uh, a, a counterpart to uh, primary care physicians. Um, in a few states, five states, actually psychologists can in fact prescribe. Um, but um, actually, they're not doing that much prescribing right now. We don't know a ton about exactly what they do. But it just shows you actually how dire the mental health shortage is that in several states, they've actually empowered this entirely different group to prescribe. And then in the non-prescribers, we have, of course, psychologists I mentioned and social workers, as well as mental health counselors. And they provide therapy, talk therapy, and lots of other different kinds of therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Well, let's uh, jump into what you found, because it's pretty striking, given the shortage we have of personnel. Tell us the overall findings with respect to uh, prescribers and the trends in who's treating Medicare enrollees. I was very surprised um, by our findings, too. I, um, I, I knew to expect that, you know, in almost every one of these workforce papers where we look at nurse practitioners or physician assistants, we know that this is an exploding workforce that's grown enormously in the past two decades. Um, and what I was surprised by for this group, which we call PMHNPs, is that their number grew over, um, more than double, grew by 162%. Um, where during the same period, and this is the part which has been reported in other literature, was but but to, but was particularly disheartening in the context of looking at Medicare, that there was actually a six percent decrease in the number of psychiatrists who were treating any Medicare patients, um, and then also just in terms of the volume of work that they were doing, there was actually a nearly one third drop in just the volume of psychiatrist visits uh, that were happening. Um, over this period with Medicare Benny's. And this is before the pandemic. So we know that actually this even further undermines the um, mismatch between supply and demand among anyone in Medicare after the pandemic. Luckily, because the psychiatry MP workforce doubled during this period, they actually offset that um, decrease in visits so that it wasn't quite as bad, so that the total number of visits available you know, that happened uh, with a mental health prescriber dropped by about 10%. Um, but still, that's a drop in a uh, set of care that we know is in great demand and was, is, if anything, increasing pre-pandemic and now exploded since 2020. So you have this growing uh, health profession workforce in a subset of the workforce that's growing. Um, you looked at who they're treating and what sorts of care they're providing. Uh, can you tell me, a little, like, who is it your average Medicare enrollee who's treated by a PMHNP? As far as we can tell, the types of patients that were treated by NP mental health specialists were pretty similar to the ones treated by psychiatrists. Um, this is, you know, it's it's a perennial question in health services research, kind of comparing the nature of practice of NPs to psychiatrists, because there's always concerns about, um, the, you know, whose turf um, is what, and, um, you know, are nurse practitioners and psychiatrists or nurse practitioners and physicians providing equivalent care, or how can we compare them? We found that psychiatrists were 
more likely to treat patients with more mental health conditions, so more complex than nurse practitioners. And also, they are much more likely to be located in urban areas, which is consistent with what we know about physicians really are, if anything, kind of getting depleted out of rural areas, and that gap is being filled by non-physicians like nurse practitioners and and PAs or physician assistants. I want to talk some more about these uh, urban-rural differences and get into some of the policy factors associated with uh, practice. Uh, We'll cover those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Barnett about trends in mental health care delivery in Medicare between 2011 and 2019. Before the break, we were talking about the growing role of this group uh, that he refers to as psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners. Uh, Before the break, uh, you noted the urban-rural split in uh, the practice for psychiatrists. What are you seeing in terms of the urban-rural split for these uh, nurse practitioners? Um, The differences between um, psychiatrists and nurse practitioners uh, taking care of mental health in in rural and urban areas in the U.S. is quite dramatic. What we found is that there are about half as many psychiatrists per 100,000 enrollees in Medicare in rural areas um, um, as there were in urban areas. Um, While, on the other hand, there are actually about equal numbers of uh, mental health nurse practitioners in rural and urban areas, which um, means that there are proportionally way more nurse practitioners um, actually um, over time than there are psychiatrists. And actually what we find is that by 2019, there are basically as many nurse practitioners per 100,000 people, um, particularly in states that have full scope of practice for nurse practitioners, um, as there are psychiatrists. So there are parts in the country where if you want to see a mental health prescriber, you're more likely to be able to find a nurse practitioner than a psychiatrist. That's a pretty dramatic finding. And you just referenced scope of practice. Uh, This is a topic of longstanding interest uh, in health care. As a policy journal, this is one of the few levers that people uh, actually can pull around workforce Maybe if, uh, could you say a little more about the, first of all, what role that plays and how scope of practice might relate to the availability of services for people, uh, particularly in areas that might have a harder time attracting a psychiatrist? Um, I agree, Alan, that, you know, scope of practice has been um, uh, a major controversy for quite a while now and actually shows no signs of slowing down. What we mean by scope of practice is really the extent to which Um, non-physician prescribers um, like uh, nurse practitioners or physician assistants. So in this case, really what we're talking about is nurse practitioners. Um, The extent to which they're able to have completely independent practice without any supervision or other layers of approval necessary for them to, um, you know, basically put up a shingle and just operate their own office the same way a physician with the same um, level of um, the same type of specialty would practice. And um, there are quite a number of varied regulations um, uh, across the country that put various limitations on whether nurse practitioners need to be supervised by a physician or put in a certain number of hours of, of supervised work before they're able to practice independently. Um, and we don't need to get into all of that. But uh, what we did do in this particular paper is we looked at states where basically there are no restrictions on 
um, NPs being able to prescribe and just practice on their own versus states where there are some level of restrictions such that they can't really just go into that state, move there and just open up their own shop. It's been a fairly consistent finding that in states with full scope of practice, there are more nurse practitioners and they practice more independently, not surprisingly. We find uh, a parallel of that in our particular study. And we think it's particularly notable because of just how profound this mental health uh, supply demand gap is. And the fact that this is one of the few situations where we find that actually, you know, in this specialty care environment, right, this is specialty care, that we have more NPs in a lot of areas in the country than psychiatrists. And to my knowledge, this is really the first situation where we've seen an example of this kind of, uh, this kind of shift in the workforce. You know, you your study focused uh, on Medicare data. I do just wonder if I could ask you whether you think these findings generalize to the broader population or how the both the demand side and the supply side might differ for people who aren't on Medicare relative to, to the folks you were focused on. My guess um, is that the findings we have here would be broadly similar, actually, in other insured populations. The exception, of course, is I think um, among those with private insurance, which, of course, is going to be the most generous, my guess is that this disparity um, between um, psychiatrists and um, nurse practitioners might not be quite as stark, that they might be more, that there are many more psychiatrists who are accepting private insurance and continuing to do so. Um, But I think the gap is so profound that, you know, there's also many access problems among those with private insurance. Um, because many people have limited networks, and there are also quite a few psychiatrists who only take cash and don't accept any kind of insurance, actually. So um, I don't think this would be the case in every specialty across every geography, um, but I think we are likely to see the same pattern when um, people look at this pattern in other data sets, uh, which I'm sure will be happening you know, in the next year or two. Other than scope of practice, which we've already talked about, are there other policy implications uh, out of this work or your broader uh, research in this area that might be of interest? I think there are a couple of policy areas that this can also inform. So one policy area is um, also concerns telemedicine. And we know from my prior work and the work of others that um, mental health is you know, the quote unquote sort of killer app in a way uh, for telemedicine, because there's no physical exam inherent, um, inherently necessary um, in the interaction between a mental health specialist and a patient. And so quite a lot of uh, mental health care um, pre and post pandemic um, is actually happening by telemedicine. And um, it also seems that nurse practitioners are particularly adept at adopting this new technology before the pandemic, as well as after the pandemic. So I do wonder in rural areas where actually, even if you have, say, more nurse practitioners than you do psychiatrists, there are many people who could still live, you know, quite a ways away from actually being in person to the nearest nurse practitioner, that actually technology, that actually a policy to facilitate telemedicine access might be even more effective in those areas, um, and that nurse practitioners might be able to further extend their reach given um, their adoption of telemedicine. We don't know for sure yet, and that's a question that we're, our group is going to be actively looking into. Um, but I think that um, this is, um, as we debate the future of telemedicine policy um, after the public health emergency for COVID-19 evaporates and then the, uh, the telemedicine policy landscape changes, this is one area to watch closely. Another policy implication, um, I think, is also one of the other levers we have in uh, affecting the workforce 
is the extent to which we provide incentives for uh, clinicians to relocate to rural areas or to provide subsidies for training and uh, uh, for training of nurses and um, other certificates after nurses graduate from their um, from their doctorates. Um, and I think that um, our the trends that we observe imply that we might have more, uh, we might get more bang for our buck investing in the psychi psychiatric nurse practitioner workforce um, to encourage them to move to rural areas than psychiatrists who have been in a decades-long exodus away from uh, rural areas that have the largest mismatch between demand and supply, whereas NPs are actually increasingly going to those areas. We may have um, leverage to further increase that um, the growth in that workforce um, by targeting that particular provider population. Well, those all seem like uh, areas ripe for additional work and uh, policy activity. Um, I am curious as we wrap up here, uh, putting this in the broader context of the increasing role of physician assistants and nurse practitioners, is, is there just a sort of a sea change here in terms of who's getting care and who's providing care as we shift services uh, away from physicians? And this is just sort of one part of a much broader phenomenon? Or or do you think the findings you have here are, are quite specific to mental health? I'd say that there certainly is has been a sea change over the past two to three decades um, in the rise of uh, non-physician providers like nurse practitioners and PAs. I think one unique aspect of the mental health angle in our paper is that um, um, is just kind of how how closely matched the supply and availability of NPs are compared to psychiatrists in certain parts of the country. Um, and um, whereas we still have a situation that even though nurse practitioner and PA uh, those workforces have grown enormously in other areas. They are still dwarfed by the size of the physician workforce um, that's providing, say, primary care um, across the country. But they're very rapidly growing. And so um, I do think this is part of a sea change where given the, um, you know, per, the, the supply bereft um, um, status of mental health is particularly relevant there. Um, but part of the reason we're seeing these scope of practice debates continuing to flare um, in um, you know, interprofessional conflict between, for example, the AMA and nursing organizations is because I think this sea change is you know, very threatening to the status quo of the current healthcare system. And it's still uncertain you know, what is optimal for public policy, for population health, for spending, um, and for just you know, customer satisfaction and um, how people get healthcare. Um, but it is um, probably one of the largest changes, I would say, in the healthcare system um, that is going to um, be evolving over the next decade. Well, that's really fascinating. It'll be interesting to see. I'll be able to turn to you and colleagues for uh, insights as those trends evolve. Dr. Barnett, thank you so much uh, for the work, for explaining it, for helping us understand this important issue, and today for being my guest on Health Policy. Thank you so much for having me, Alan. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. 
Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.